out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastorm. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the musician, composer, guitarist, multi-instrumentalist. It is the one and only Carvis Tarabi, who is currently playing with Gong, who are going to be at the Norwich Arts Centre on this Sunday. So I will just give you the date before we start, just in case you listen to this in the future. But this is going to be, um, it's going to be Sunday, the 13th of March, 2022. Hopefully you've listened to it before then. If you listen to it afterwards, the gig has been and gone. But anyway, this is going to be the interview. Um, we mentioned about the tour, and then we get down to the other exciting st- stuff, which is about his life in music. Anyway, Carvis, tell us more about this tour that you're doing at the moment. I know, this is where we leave off and then he starts. Okay, take it away. Well, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, it's been, you know, this thing has been rescheduled. It's the third time it's been rescheduled now. And it's sort of the most, um, I suppose, it's well, not exactly daunting. I'm so, so pleased to be back. But it's sort of like 26 gigs in about sort of 30 days. But no, it's brilliant. We had day nine in Glasgow last night, and it's it's just getting better and better. You know, I mean, the, the responses have been you're really overwhelming. I think people are just so happy to be out and, you know, experiencing sort of live music again. And we're so happy to be out doing it and sort of, you know, really spread, spreading the love and light, you know. Yes, absolutely. I mean, just roughly, it's always always curious, because I was born, like, 64. My early musical moments in life were, I suppose, the early glam world of Sweet, Slade, T-Rex, Gary, yeah, yeah. Gary Glitter. And thankfully, David Bowie was my first single and first love. What was your kind of musical kind of awakening that happened? For me, my awakening was um, The Stray Cats in 1981. No, 1980, I beg your pardon. 1980 was um, the Stray Cats and seeing, you know, seeing Brian Setzer on top of the pots playing the guitar, doing Runaway Boys. And it was just, well, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And, um, not, you know, that never, ever changed, you know. And I sort of, from that point onwards, did basically everything I could to be that when I grew up, you know. But, um, in fact, speaking about, you know, this is an interesting thing because two nights ago we were in Manchester. Now, another another favourite band of mine at the time, and still now actually was Madness. Right, you know, an enormous madness fan. They really sort of turned me on to, uh, you, know, you know, I think their arrangements are extraordinary. I think incredible songwriting, and we were playing. Um, we were playing a show in a uh, really brilliant show in Manchester, <clears throat> and afterwards I, I checked to a guy, and I just said, to, and he was just, you know, telling me how much he enjoyed it. I looked at him and said, "You look a lot like Daniel Woodgate, Daniel, you know, Woody from Madness." He said, "Yeah, yeah, I am," and it was just incredible. Realised that just uh, had, having, you know, really like, you know. This guy I was buying records by and listening to and still listening to just at the front of our gig and, you know, was chatting to us for an hour afterwards. He's an enormous Gong fan. So it's, yeah, it's been quite overwhelming, really. Yes. Well, it's interesting because I've been doing this show now for a long time. And one band that often gets mentioned by all these, I mean, mostly they're indie bands from the 80s, but sometimes other decades. But, I mean, Hawkwind are the band that a lot of people saw when they were growing up in that period and had a huge influence on them. I think, you know, the live show, the kind of musical quality Absolutely. of it was the band that seemed to sort of trigger a lot of people like I want to do that too you know and they kind of they brought in so much you know from the world of yeah. I, I don't know rock pop psychedelic yeah. and, and also kind of punk as well and then was people like That's Lenny. Absolutely. so um it's an interesting one really so yes I could imagine 
Yeah, it's interesting. Madness would have been, yeah, well and truly there. Well, I, well, I, I, I had that with Hawkwind actually when I was 16 because I'd, I'd already been to see gigs. I'd been to see sort of a uh, bit bigger bands. Um, but when I was 16, Hawkwind played uh, where I was you know, growing up in Plymouth. And, you know, so few bands ever came to Plymouth. So it was a real, it was a real event. And I did like Hawkwind. You know, I had a sort of greatest hits at that point called Master, Master of the Universe. I was 16. And going out to this gig and, um, you know, just, you know, probably there was about maybe 1,500 people there. Just freaks, total freaks. And I was just like, oh, my God, where did all these people come from? You know, I thought Plymouth was this really kind of staid, boring place. All of a sudden, all these freaks are going out the woodwork. And Hawkins just had this amazing light show. It was, it was, an, you know, an 80s lineup. This was sort of 1988. But they were, they were killing it still, you know. And they had the sort of projections and the light show. And again, it was just like, well... You know, these are my people, I think. Yes, absolutely. That was definitely an awakening moment. Yeah, because you would have probably nearly missed, I don't know, you probably towards the end of the 80s kind of caught that kind of, I suppose there was the travelling, the travellers, the peace convoy, you know, the yeah, yeah. that kind of movement. Because a few months ago I did an interview with Bick Hayes or Christian Hayes. Oh, he's one of my best friends. And, yeah, uh, yeah, Bick, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I remember my first ever Glastonbury was 1987 and, and he was playing in a band called Ring at the same time. Yeah, Ring, an amazing band, Nervous Recreation, yeah. And, that uh, was they, a big but, influence on me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they were, they were in the Travellers Field doing their thing yeah. during that period of time. So when when did you because obviously you you're sort of quite a different background when did the slightly alternative movement and the kind of left field world sort of enter your life because yeah because you sort of then had a spell in the um, uh, Cadillacs uh, cardiacs 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 yeah well, but Bic was in cardiacs as well of course um, uh, uh, too but um, no what happened in fact cardiacs I got turned on to when I was sixteen and that absolutely changed everything for me um and that was when i really that that was the real point at which it was like well this is the kind of music i need to do and it made me want to move to london um i mean i i, I don't know so much I, I was just always interested in music and i never really sort of thought i can't remember i suppose it, it, things are a bit more territorial when you were younger but I, I don't know if i really thought of kind of well maybe i did <laughs> sorry, I, sorry to be rambling about sort of alternative music but yeah certainly you know, in the 80s, it was such a sort of fertile time. And, and, and for me, like the, you know, I was already into, I suppose, some stuff like gothy stuff like Fields of the Nephilim and the cult or whatever. But, you know, when Cardiacs came along and that, that whole world sort of exploded. And I was, I, was, I was in a band, I was in a sort of psychedelic metal band in Plymouth who were very inspired by the likes of Hawkwind and Cardiacs, right. um, as well as sort of metal-y stuff. And we played at a few free festivals and we played the last one, Carson Morton. So... I was sort of involved on the tail end of that, I suppose. Um, but then I, I moved up to London. I moved up to London to sort of be part of, you know, or, or at least hope to be part of the whole sort of cardiac scene because I just thought, well, if that's where these guys are making that music, I've got to, I've got to be part of that. And that's how I got to know Bick and um, obviously Tim Smith from Cardiac. I ended up joining. And it was just this incredibly fertile scene in London. So, you know, me and my band, The Monsoon Bassoon, sort of moved up from Plymouth and started putting out records and playing in London. But the funny thing is, um, you know, we were we were really influenced by Gong, you know, sort of a strange band that was influenced by sort of Gong, Henry Cow, XTC and Sonic Youth. But, um, you know, now it's, it's been funny then ending up, sort of both ending up in Cardiacs and then Gong as well. But, um, yeah, I've, I've sort of, 
I sort of feel like I've always been in this in this world one way or another. Yes, because again, you've you've got one amazing CV, which kind of, like you said, you were in Die Die Laughing earlier. Then mm. you had Knife World, and also bands like the Medieval Babes as well, which is Medieval quite a, Babes, yeah. <laughs> which was quite a, um, yeah. I mean, again, you know, I remember one of their albums that I was obsessed with for quite a long time, and you know, I loved all that. So which kind one? Well, it was it was one which they I got the T-shirt. It was probably about two thousand and there was a green T-shirt that came with it. Probably about two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Oh, okay, yeah, that was before, that was before I joined. But yeah, um, Catherine Blake. Catherine Blake. Well, yeah, she sing. I mean, she's still part of the gang. You know, she sang just sang on the new album I did with Utopia Strong, another one of my things. But yeah, no, I, I still play with the Medieval Babes on the studio records. And in fact, I, I, Catherine's like one of my best friends. But the reason I stopped doing that, because I love, I think she's an incredible composer, an amazing arranger, and brilliant producer. You know, she's a real extraordinary talent. And the, re- the reason I stopped doing Medieval Babes was just because I, I got too busy with Gong. Right. Really. But um, but yeah, I still play on the records and stuff. Yes. And what was your relationship like with the famous snooker player Steve Davis? Because you also did quite a bit of work there with the the interesting alternative show. Yeah, well, that's, that's stopped, but we've got a band together now um, called The Utopia Strong. Um, in fact, we've got a new album out in June. And we wrote a book, we wrote a sort of joint memoir, which came out last year uh, called Medical Grade Music. And we've been DJing together. And that was a, that was a, that was a strange relationship, really. But for, well, it was strange for about one minute. I met, him at, um, I met him at a Magma show in Paris in about sort of, I suppose, 2005, maybe, around then, the mid-2000s. Yes. You know, my, my wife went up to chat to him and, you know, within one minute of talking to him, I just realised he was ahead. You know, he was just totally like all of my friends, just completely into music and, and really unusual music. And he had sort of exquisite taste. He turned me on to loads and loads of stuff. And he had this show, the um, interesting alternative show. And when I, when, I put my, um, when I put out my Knife World album in 2009, he got me on as a guest. And, uh, you know, we had such fun. That he said, well, do you want to do it again? And then that sort of turned into us doing the show together. So we did this for a, for a few years every Monday, doing the show together, um, uh, this radio show. And then sometime around sort of, I suppose, about four or five years ago, we, we got asked to, to DJ at um, a brewery together. And this sort of escalated to us then DJing at this sort of fe- festival called Block and then Glastonbury getting wind of it. And then we, we started just sort of DJing, but, you know, DJing pretty out there music, you know. It wasn't, people sort of have this idea that he's a techno DJ or something. He isn't. We play some pretty <clears throat> sort of wigged out stuff. But it, it seems to, you know, it certainly separates the heads from the haircuts. It seems to sort of, <laughs> you know, you know seems to, we seem to find our people kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, no, it's been, it's been a wonderful friendship. And I think for... For him, I think he's he's always you know yeah sort of I think he's always been a musician in there, and it's really blossomed out. And he's sort of, you know he got into playing modular synth, and you know what started off as just a little improvising session with myself, him, and our friend Mike York from uh, Coil, turned into a band, and then you know and then we've been putting out you know put out quite a few records, and we've you know live records, and like I say we've just done our second studio album, which is um coming out in June. So yeah, just. Um, Again, it seems really absurd on the, you know, and ludicrous on the outside when you look at it. I think, wait a minute, so this, you know, six times world champion in a band with a bloke out of cardiacs and coil. But actually, it, it, it makes complete sense when we're sort, of, we're sort of doing it. It doesn't seem, 
you know, it doesn't seem at all we. And it's it's and it's really exciting because it's the live performances are sort of completely improvised. Um, and um, you know, it's I've never really done anything that you know going on stage and improvising for an hour before and it's it's really really you know it's really good and some nights it's just extraordinary yes and um so yeah that's <laughs> that was quite yes i know I, I was you know i just remember during the 80s he was this kind of very clean cut amazingly focused kind of yeah. snooker player that um suddenly one day he's sort of reading the paper and thought my goodness i mean it's not completely crazy because i did an interview with a football player called pat nevin recently and he's you know he was a huge john peel fan and loved you know just like getting the NME, and even though he was in a culture, this was in the 80s and 90s in the football world, playing for people like Chelsea, and obviously his teammates weren't at all interested. You know, he, he just kept, st- you know, he stuck with it because he just loved it so much. So um, you do get the odd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it well, probably... That's funny because Steve has, Steve has the same thing, like nobody in the snooker world is remotely interested in the music, or even, I think not even that interested in music, full stop, but certainly not the music he likes, you know. No, no, that would have been very strange. Then how did um, the world of Gong, I mean, obviously being a fan is one thing, but how did the, the call come up? Because I know Dave and Jill sort of both passed away almost within a year of each other, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, this, this is related to Steve Davis. Um, so we, we were, you know, going back to that period where we were doing our, our radio show every week, um, you know, Steve rang me up. Um, this was about, I suppose, about 2002, 2003. Steve rang me up one afternoon and says, you ne- you'll never guess who's been on the phone. You know, and I said, who? And he said, Gong. They want, they, you know, Gong have been in touch. And, they're, they're, you know, they want David Allen to come in and do an interview with us. You know, next week, I was like, really? I just couldn't believe it. We're both really big Gong fans. So, you know, the following week, we went and picked David out, David up from a, a Gong rehearsal in, in London and took him out to Brentford, where we did where we were doing the interview. We went out for dinner with him beforehand, which we always used to do with our guests, you know. And instantly, you know, from, from David being there, we just sort of, we both really, really got on, you know, well together. And then throughout, so throughout the meal and throughout the show, we were getting on, you know, really, really well. He was, you know, I was got a really good vibe from him, and we swapped numbers, you know, from that point onwards, we swapped numbers, and that was pretty far out. Thinking, gosh, we just swapped numbers with David Allen, <laughs> and you know, we would we text each other from time to time, and then whenever he was in London, in whatever capacity, you know, I'd I'd come and see him play over the next year. He seemed to be around quite a lot, um, and then he was doing a he was doing a improvised gig with Marshall Allen from the Sun Ra Orchestra. And they, that was in a place called Cafe Otto in London. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I was going to go along anyway. And he texted me and said, look, obviously you're coming down, get down early sort of thing. So I said, yeah, sure. So I, I, I came down and he, he had a funny energy about him. And, and, and he was sort of like, you know, and, and in a funny, I kind of knew what he was going to say just because of the way he was being. But after being there for about 10 minutes, he just said, um, I think you should play guitar in gong. I've been thinking, you know, I've been thinking, I think you should be playing guitar and gong. And he'd never heard me play at this point. Right. Which I said, I said, well, David, you've never heard me play. And he said, no, I don't need to. You know, I need someone to bring fire. And you're going to bring, I can tell you're going to bring fire. And I said, well, you know, I can't play like Steve Hillett. And he said, I don't care what, uh, you know, I'm not interested in what you can't do. I'm interested in what you can do. Nice. So that was, <laughs> that was that. He asked me to join, having never heard me play. He said, I did the same thing with, uh, Mike Howlett in the 70s and I think Pierre Molen, he'd never heard them play he just got the, the vibe right you know, the vibe from them so we had, a, we, we had this rehearsal um, and the thing is I've been, I've been a real, you know, obviously as I said, a big Gong fan 
since I was a teenager. And I, you know, would often write these riffs that sounded like, you know, it sounded quite a lot like gong and think, well, it's a good riff, but I can't really use it. It's a bit too gongy. So I was waiting for him to turn up at the rehearsal. And, and while I was waiting for him, I, I came up with this, you know, this riff, which ended up becoming a song on the album we did together. And I was playing it to, you know, he came and I was playing it to him and he started dancing around and sort of like coming up with lyrics for it. And he, and he goes, hey man, that's great. You got any more? And I said, yeah, hundreds. <laughs> you know, finally, I found an outlet for all these, all these sort of, you know, riffs that were too gongish. So, so that was that really, you know, I was in the band with David um, and, you know, you know, there was a, it was only the last couple of years of his life. You know, we made a record and we did some shows together in Brazil and he'd keep, he'd keep saying, um, well, you know, I, you know, I can't do this forever, you know, and I, I, I never wanted Gong to sort of finish with me. And I was just, I, I didn't really engage with it because he just, he seemed so sort of powerful. Yes. He, he was so powerful. And I was just thinking, yeah, yeah, David, you know, don't be putting that on me sort of thing. And then, of course, when he, when he got, um, when he was diagnosed with the cancer, we, we had to cancel this huge tour. Well, we, we didn't cancel it. We're, you know, about, I think we had about 40 dates booked. And I think about 36 of them cancelled. So we were left with this sort of like, you know, I don't know, 12 or 14 dates. And we had a new album coming out and we, we, we had to sort of commit to doing this new album. And David said, well, you've got to sing. You've got to go out and front this. And I just thought this was really bogus. And I was like, man, you know, this is, you know, this is like... So this isn't the sort of territory I want to be entering, you know, like fronting, fronting an old band with no original members. But yeah. we had to promote the album, you know, the album had to be promoted. So I said, OK, I'll do it. But after the tour's over, and David was still alive, you know, but after the tour's over, I'm out. You know, I can't, I can't do this. But as it turned out, it, the, the gigs were really, really good. They were really vibey. Uh, Steve Hillis came and played with us and, and uh, Mike Howlett. And, you know, a few of the ex-members. And, and then, you know, we, we just kept getting offering, offered more gigs after that. And I was still like, you know, and I knew there was this strange, you know, no David, no Gong contingent. And, you know, then, then David died. And, and um, we were just in this position where we said, I, and I said, well, if we're going to do this, you know, we have, to, we have to do it on our terms and we have to, we have to write material and make new records. And we've got to, we've got to focus on that. We're not going to be a tribute band. You know, we, we're going to be Gong. You know, we are gone, but we're, you know, we're writing the tunes now and we're going to be performing them. And it's very much, I understand the spirit of gong, you know, the sort of positivity and the light and, you know, full on psychedelia. Um, but, you know, uh, and if people don't like the album, well, we tried, you know, we made a good, good record. So we made, we made the album Rejoice, I'm Dead. And um, it's just, you know, it seems to have, you know, that it seems to have really sort of captured people's imaginations and, I think we're just, you know, we've, we've now been playing with this lineup for eight years. So n not only is it the longest ever sa stable lineup of Gong, but it's it's the longest ever lineup, single lineup of any band I've ever been in. Yes. And I, I, I just, honestly, the, as a musician, you know, to be, you know, I, t I turned 50 in December. And just to be, to be at a level where I can play with other musicians as extraordinary as the players in Gong, I, I just feel so privileged. You know, it's, it's kind of like, well... Maybe my life was maybe it wasn't all a waste of time, you know. Maybe I was right to not pay attention at school, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't know. Well, you know, it's it, it's kind of overwhelming. And then, particularly, you know, to to ring us in the middle of this tour and after a show like last night, where what's so amazing is it's just such a mixture of ages. You've got sort of young people, you know. Um, 
We've got young people, there's women uh, at the gigs, there's, you know, there's old people, there's people of all ages, and it just seems, you know, it, it does feel like a really kind of celebratory, transformative experience. So it's, it's, an, it's an incredible thing to be part of. And, you know, it, it, it really is about, you know, it is about trying, like, without repeating myself too much, but, yeah, trying, trying to sort of achieve some sort of transformation, which these gigs really are doing. Yeah, they, well, it's kind of interesting because I've often, you know, when we were growing up, I say the royal we here, but, you know, it always seemed yeah. a bit, it, you know, the first few tribute bands all feel, felt a bit weird and uncomfortable. And then slowly you kind of get used to it and, and, and the like. But then I sort of realised that, we, you know, with classical music that we listen to, you know, those composers have been dead, you know, centuries away. And, and so listening to the music now, you know, you're not, you're not that sort of uptight that the original person yeah, is, yeah. is no longer alive. But what you've done is quite interesting because you've gone from not being a tribute band because you've obviously recorded new material in the spirit of a band. So you've kind of gone through that kind of transformation because I know that, you know, often what do you do with the legacy of a, of a band? You know, like the Beatles have got this production of Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas of Love and then Meat Love yeah. did, you know, this kind of Bat Out of Hell, you know, production with it all dramatised on stage and touring the theatres of the UK and Europe and, and such like. So it's interesting that Gong has has got, you know, like this this kind of new pulsating, you know, probably not even phase, phase three because there's been quite a few members. So it's interesting having, you know, what yeah, do you do yeah. with art forms and the spirit of a band? Because actually probably the audience, you know, are they kind of quite generous thinking it doesn't matter, we're here to have a nice time? Well, well <clears throat> incredibly, but I mean, you know, the, I'd say the majority of the set, the set is stuff that we've written over the last few years and you know this <clears throat> we, I mean, we we play you know a few classics there's a couple we, we just can't not play there's the master builder because greatest riff ever written and uh you can't kill me which seems to really um sum up the whole spirit of gong <laughs> but like, like i said it's mainly it's mainly we're playing sort of stuff from the last uh, couple of albums <clears throat> and it seems to be going down brilliantly you know and so it's it, it's kind of it just seems sort of seamless, really. It's a, it, like I say, it is a strange position to be in because I, I would never ever want to be in a, in a tribute band or anything sort of bogus or that, that felt kind of like inauthentic. But it's it's genuinely it feels it feels authentic and it feels really beautiful. And I, I, I've you know you see on the internet uh, you know you might you might if you look at the comments on the internet the, the, the sort of no David no Gong kind of uh, attitude seems to be really receding. And and besides, David was out of the band by 1977 anyway to rejoin years later. So it's always had a, a sort of revolving lineup. But I think Gong's not really like Gong's not really like any other band. I can't I can't think of anything that really you know anything that sort of lives in the you know in in this sort of space because I'm I'm very much of the sort of you know no Aussie no Black Sabbath sort of um, <laughs> position you know because it really was about for me those four people creating magic together. But I think Gong is just Gong is like this well that uh, David created full of this just this incredible sort of positivity and ideas and sort of a freedom of how to sort of to make art and make music. And I think, we, you know, he chose he chose us. He put this line up together and um, and I think sort of gave us the ingredients and we're sort of making art out of them. Yes. And has that changed your own sort of style of play you know by sort of being focused much more on on one band than previously where you've sort of been in so many different lineups and different groups yeah well no, I'm, I'm, I'm probably playing more bands now than, than i was doing even a few years ago but um well it has yeah i mean but i think everything 
everything. What what I love about playing music because I have a, I suppose I have quite a specific style, and I, I I guess it's like garlic. It's like if if you put me if you put me into a recipe, you can always taste me. You know, I don't, I don't have this bland. I'm not vegetable stock. I'm very strong garlic. So you can always <laughs> you can always whatever I mean, you can taste me. And some people, you know, sometimes you don't want garlic in a in a birthday cake or something. But um, God, where am I going with this analogy? It's terrible. But um. But but gong. So it's a, you know everything you do. Well, well everything I do, I, I love to sort of put myself into different kind of dynamics or different kind of situations to, to you know to bring out a different side of my playing or writing. But gong has very much sort of brought out a kind of nascent lead guitar player in me that I sort of stopped doing kind of lead guitar-y stuff when I was about um, you know was about nineteen, and so it's really brought that out in me. But it, I think it's just you know it's made me such a better player. You know, because just playing uh, among such brilliant musicians, you know, you, you you have to sort of up your game. And I, you know, you you're never really finished. You know, you can you can you can only ever get better. You know, there's never an end point to this. Yes. But Gong has Gong has certainly brought out brought out brought out that. But also, it's for me as a person. I think as a performer, because I I had fronted groups before, but I was always a reluctant front man. Um, but like with Knife World or whatever, because it was my own tunes. It's sort of like well. You know, I'll, I'll front. You know, I'll front that. But with Gong, um, it was like, well, I can't, I can't come into this as a shrinking violet. I've got, you know, I'm following David, and I am, I'm quite a show off anyway, and I'm quite sort of, I suppose, quite an extrovert. But you know, being in Gong it allowed, you know, I, I, you know, I had to sort of really up the, I don't know what you call it, sort of performance ante. Because yes. you know, it's like, well, I can't. You know, you can't just be some you know, some guy mumbling and looking at his feet when you're fronting Gong. You know, but this has brought this has brought out something in me that was always there. I think it's almost given me license to license to become you know more of a performer. So I've I've been really loving that. And also with your tour, you've got the UK, and then you've got one of these great cruise experiences, haven't you? Is this Cruise to the Edge with with the S? Yeah. So- well, yeah, we've done that one before. We've pulled it actually. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we pulled it because of the well, because of the COVID situation and the economics. And 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 basically, I mean, I can talk about what the what the cruise was like beforehand, <laughs> but because I, I thought it was really fun. But um, but yeah, this one we had to, basically it was just the situation that if anybody tested positive, we'd have to isolate for ten days and get them a hotel in Florida. You know, then we wouldn't be able to perform. And it just looked like actually this is just gonna this is gonna hemorrhage all our money if you know and if it was like a, a one in let's say five thousand chance or something that then then we would have taken the risk but it was just no look it you know the, the the likelihood of someone getting it it's not that low you know and then we're just screwed financially so we we had to make the decision to pull I think a lot of the British fans have done um, which is a, which is a really great shame. Because, uh, like I said, I really, I really had fun on the one we did before. It's a, it's a strange old thing, the cruise. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, it's quite a long way from the the normal kind of either free festival kind of gig or you know small venues. Yeah. So what, what, what's it like yeah. being on the cruise with with other people that you you literally can't, not going to be able to escape? Are you really? Well, well, well here's the thing. Well, the, for me, that the experience was, you know, when we when we played. You know, the, when 2007, 2018 it was, um, they had both Knife World and Gong, so both my bands were played. So I was really busy, but and and um, and there was a there was a little gang of us, so we had um, you know we had, we had a lot of fun. But also one of my friends, another the guy who played guitar in Cardiacs before me, but after Bick, uh, 
uh, a guy called John Poole, who plays in a band called Life Signs. And again, another one of my best friends. So I hardly ever get to see him. So just to spend a week on the high seas with him was amazing. Really got to catch up properly. But, the, you know, the fans were really sort of respectful. I mean, um, to be honest, I don't care for much of the music on, on the, it's not my, it's not my flavor really on that cruise. But, and I, and I felt that both, both bands I was doing, Knife World and Gong, sort of felt a bit like the odd ones out yeah. to some degree. But, um, you know, we seemed to go down very well and everybody, everybody was lovely. And, you know, we had a nice, you know, we had nice cabins. You could sort of escape, escape to a cabin if you wanted to uh, sort of, uh, you know, hide away from anyone. But really, there were, there were no nuisances. I was thinking, oh, God, are we going to get, is it the kind of place where you get collared and people talking at you about, you know, when they saw Gong in 1974 or something. But no, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like that at all. <laughs> yes. It nice. Because after that, during the summer, is it the case that your kind of mostly European and mostly Germany dates are still going ahead? Yeah, they're all going ahead, yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to be a strange one, the sort of first post-Brexit shows. And we've got some festivals in Italy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's what's happening. And I mean, our, our guitar player is Brazilian. Well, he's Italian, but he lives in Brazil. So, you know, he's, he's obviously he's over now doing this. But when he's over, we, we, we sort of take advantage of that to do sort of more writing. So we're working on another album. So we've got a couple of weeks after this tour of writing. And then when, we come, when he comes over, for, you know, for these Europe dates, we'll probably get him over a, a couple of weeks earlier and, yes. and for a, a few weeks after so we can carry on writing, you know. So, and did you... Um... So, yeah, I can't wait. I mean, I'm... Yeah, sorry, I was going to say, because I know Lemmy used to sort of talk about the German audience and market, the, mark, the word market's horrible, but, you know, the German yeah. audience being essential for the longevity and survival of Motorhead. Do you find those kind of dates through Europe quite essential for the band? Well, yeah, I mean, but, but more, um, more for more just kind of like the sort of that feeling of what we you know, why we all got into uh, rock and roll, the sort of, you know, feeling of being on a pirate ship or something and, and going out and, you know, sort of just, it, it feels a lot more exciting when you're in a, in a country where you can't speak the language, you know, it really feels like, oh, now this is happening. And especially with, with both COVID and Brexit, to, to have been sort of um, limited to playing the UK, which, which is great, you know, I absolutely love playing the UK. And it's great because I have, you know, friends come along every night from all over the country but you really feel like, you know, going 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 abroad. It feels like okay, now we're here, now we're on a mission. But Germany's Germany's interesting because um, the the audiences are quite kind of uh, well. Well, they, no, I don't like. To, I don't even like to sort of make generalisations because. But you know, sometimes they, they can seem during the show very serious. It's like, and I've you know, come off stage and say, oh man, I just could, couldn't get a vibe on with these people. And then afterwards, they'll come to the merch stand and say oh it's the best show i've seen in 20 years it's like really but you you all look you all look so bored but no they're just totally into it they just stand there and concentrate and really enjoy it i think i don't think they don't need to they don't sort of throw themselves around so much no i do remember once you know going to a gig in berlin and this person who we were staying with said oh by the way no one will move until the encore and then they'll suddenly go for it and i thought yeah yeah i thought you serious? I can't imagine. And that was true. And that was like probably 1987, actually, I think. So that was, um, yeah, a kind of very contemplative audience. So the last two years, obviously, it's been mental, um, a bit strange. And now we've got this, yeah. <laughs> this next issue. So interesting period. How was it kind of trying to think about playing music or 
being creative during that period for you? For me, I had a terrible time. Um, I Well, it started off okay. <clears throat> at, at the point at which, funnily enough, around the time, the point at which lockdown first happened, I had just, well, I had finished the solo album and that kind of, um, that kind of, the release pretty much coincided with lockdown. So I did a, I did a couple of online shows, which are really fun, which had, you know, never done anything like that before. And, and um, you know, put this solo record out, which was doing kind of well. So that sort of, uh, relatively, so that sort of kept us going throughout lockdown. And for the first, I'd say for the first year, for 2020, I, um, I, I felt sort of pretty good. It was strange, you know, and difficult. Um, and I couldn't wait to be back out there again. But I was still sort of managing to be creative, started making a new solo record. But then around the sort of, I suppose, January of 2021, I just sort of hit a wall and kind of, and kind of went a bit nuts. You know, it was, um, it was really difficult. You know, you don't, you don't know, because, because, sort of, you know, going a bit nuts, I, you don't, you don't sort of realize you're, well, I, I didn't, didn't really realize it was happening, but you know, my, my family certainly did, you know, and um, so that was strange. And um, I found it very, very difficult to, to even be able to listen to my own music, let alone to write. Yeah. So I thought, well, I've got to do something, something about this. So I just, <clears throat> I, um, I just started to unpick my um, guitar technique, which has always been pretty sloppy, I think, um, or at least I think so, because I've, you know, I've just my my playing is full of bad habits because I've never really, I've always sort of used the guitar as an instrument to to write stuff. So I just decided to really go back to basics and look at my look at my. Um, look at my technique, just stuff that didn't really require any inspiration yeah. and just ended up, you know, spending like six hours a day, almost like a job, just six hours a day, just going to my studio and practicing just to, just so that at least each day where, you know, it was kind of that like every day was the same every day, you know, all stuck at, in our little flat, at least I could sort of go to bed and think, well, I did something, I did something good today. I got better at the guitar today. And that's been, what that's been really, really, for me, it was a really good, discipline because it's a regime i've kept up i mean i'm in my hotel room with my guitar now and now i'm you know for the first time ever i'm sort of i'm usually just actually just um practicing for about four hours a day or even or just i get you know sometimes i get up and practice for an hour just before i do whatever else i'm going to do musically so i've never really had that sort of relationship with with the guitar before so it's really it has really strengthened my sort of feeling of being a guitar player so that's the, that was a good thing that came out of it yes absolutely my god i know actually most people i spoke to they didn't have a good period you know creative people really struggled i think there was that thing of like oh you know wishing that you could have some period of time with nothing on and then thinking mm, yeah. this, this isn't quite what i really wanted perhaps i didn't really need this amount of free time so i think trying to manage one's kind of timetable diary whatever and trying to have some motivation was really difficult you know there was some yeah it, it well, wasn't I mean, we all found out a lot about ourselves and i mean <laughs> the, the, the thing i found out was that um you know for, for the last few years really last 20 odd years people would always say to me god how, how how can you manage to be in so many bands or do so many projects and i was just like oh yeah you know no i'm just you know i'm into it but what i realized is what happens to me when I don't do that? It's, it's actually it's not so much how do I manage to do it. It's just I clearly got one of these minds that has to be kind of active all the time and engaged in whatever you want to call it, logistics and problem solving, uh, wearing different hats. I just sort of have to be doing that all the time. Otherwise, I go, you know, I go really nuts and become a, a nightmare for anyone around me. So it made me realise, okay, I'm sort of 
I don't really have a choice in this. This is this is what I have to do. Yes, blimey, that's yeah. that's amazing. I mean, just lastly, I mean, if you could have said something to your like 16, 18 year old self starting out, is there any kind of little bit of advice or words of wisdom that you would have just whispered, even if they might ignore yeah. it? Yeah, a big a big piece of advice. Wear earplugs. Where, which I should have done. I've got tinnitus now, and for, for years and years of playing in like really loud bands, and um, and like people would say you should wear earplugs. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's the same thing with like the back, bad back. You know, but I, I, I used to be doing like you know picking up amps, and people say you should really bend your legs. You know, you shouldn't pick up, you know, you shouldn't pick up like that. And you go, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, until you put your back out. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's what they were saying. So my, my big advice to my 60-year-old self, more than anything, would, would be stick at it, but for God's sake, get yourself some earplugs. Yes, health and safety, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I know once you get a weakness, it's really tricky, isn't it? So, And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. That was me in conversation with Carvis Tarabi talking about life, love, poetry, also Gong, who have got a tour coming up or currently in March 2022 and Europe in the summer of 2022. Yes, that's right. They've got a great website. Go to it, Planet Gong. And um, yes, if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. And also these have all been archived on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Indeed, they have. Anyway, look, have a great week. Stay safe.